Today's show is sponsored by Airtable. Airtable is the all-in-one collaboration tool that powers the teams behind the next generation of addictive multimedia content. That's reality shows like 60 Days In on A&E, thoughtful technology reviews from The Wirecutter, quick-turn video from powerhouses like Group 9 Media and Condé Nast Entertainment. All those companies use Airtable, so you should try it today. Get $50 in credit free by visiting Airtable.com slash Recode Media. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. I'm part of the Vox Media Podcast Network coming to you from snowy New York City. I'm here today with figure skating royalty, Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir. This conversation is part of The Podium. It's a podcast collaboration between NBC Sports Group and Vox Media. Beginning in January, we'll bring you athlete profiles, daily updates, and exciting stories from the Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, South Korea. Um, thanks for coming in on a Saturday to chat. Do you guys normally work on a Saturday, or is this a, a special event for you? No, that's it's the norm for us. Uh, figure skating is on every single weekend. Are you not watching? <laughs> but we uh, actually record. I'm making. All of our I'm shows. making a. I'm making a face. Yes, sometimes I watch. <laughs> we are uh, always in uh, Stanford, uh, recording on the weekends. So. You know, we don't have the normal nine to five Monday through Friday. It's it's usually Saturday or Sunday. It could so be Sunday at three in the morning. It, it's whatever because <laughs> we watch via satellite from events all over the world and and uh, do our voiceovers from Stanford. So right, so the, we don't have a schedule. So Stanford is 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 NBC Sports HQ. They do all the streaming out of there, and then the the events happen all around the world. So that answers my first big question, which is, what do you guys do when the Olympics are not on? And that's coming on a Saturday to Connecticut and watch figure skating. Well, yeah, I mean, the skating, I mean, obviously the public always tunes in for the Olympic Games, but there is a skating season. It usually starts in late October, November, and then we have the Grand Prix series that goes for a couple months, and there's, you know, Skate America and the Grand Prix of Japan and China, and it goes all over the world, and then there's the final, which is what we're actually uh, in studio today for, and then you have nationals, which is also sort of known as the Olympic trials, and um, and then you have the, the the big guy, the Olympics. But of course, so, but of course, we we're often thought that of uh, just sort of being cave dwellers and then popping out during the Olympic Games. But um, we we do lots of other things. Um, we're we're entertainers more than just uh, skating commentators. So we work all year and and we do lots of other things aside of um, outside of the Olympics. So you don't. I want to talk to you more about that, but you're not hibernating every four years um, and then popping out. Um, but let's talk about the Olympics that are coming up. Um, Russia is not going to be there. Sounds like the U.S. is going to be there. There was some debate about that this week, apparently, from Donald Trump and Sarah Sanders. But I, I guess they're going. Um, what is what is what is Russia not being at the Olympics mean for for skating specifically? Well, for skating specifically, it's um, there definitely still will be. Russian athletes and Russian representatives at the Olympic Games. Uh, they just won't be able to compete under the Russian flag. They're competing as uh, under the Olympic flag, and I think they're called athletes of Russia on all of their I think uniforms. It's the Olympic, Olympic athletes, athletes from Russia. From Russia, yeah. There we are. But um, as athletes, it's it's a huge uh, step in the right direction that the only athletes competing in Pyeongchang will be clean athletes and that you won't have to worry that you're being beaten by somebody that has an unfair advantage. Um, however, for, you know, for us as Americans as an, and as American Olympians, um, it would have been so traumatic not to be able to compete under your flag. So while it is great that it's just clean athletes competing at the Olympics and that clean 
Russian athletes will be able to compete. It's sad that they won't be able to compete under their flag. So do, do you, again, I'm, I'm going to not pass myself off as a figure skating authority. Um, will the best of the Russian skaters be there? Or are there some that are not going to be able to qualify uh, for drug reasons? I think that all of the Russian skaters will will be there. I don't think, Johnny, I'm not sure about you, but I don't think I've heard anything um, about any of the skaters, at least, the figure skaters being uh, tested and, and come into question. But like Johnny said, I think, you know, at, at this time, I think it's really amazing that this is happening because you want to have clean athletes at an Olympic Games. People train, athletes train their whole life for this, and they want to be up against competition that, you know, they're, they're all doing it the same way. That's what it's about. And, um, uh, you know, it would be heartbreaking if a lot of, especially in our sport, if these figure skaters who have trained their entire career to get to this point were not able to go to South Korea and compete, that would be, I mean, devastating. So at, at least they're able to go and still continue on with their dream. And and then at the same time, you're getting clean athletes, which is so. But so the caliber of, of competition won't 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 drop for at least for figure skating. No, um, that's no. And, and looking at Russia and Russian athletes, they are certainly the best in the world in the ladies' event. Um, they have strong ice dancers, strong pair skaters, and strong men. And I think the only place that there's a little bit of gray area still. Um, there's a new Olympic sport for figure skating. It's the team event, much like in gymnastics, how it's always been USA versus Russia versus the world. Um, Russia obviously factors in really, really strongly and prominently into the team event at the Olympic Games for figure skating. And if there is technically no Russian team, uh, there's it's a little bit gray right now still as to what's going to happen. So if the Russian athletes will still compete in the team event underneath the Olympic flag or if they are just out entirely. And as, as commentators, as, as entertainers, as people sort of aware of sort of what people tune in for the Olympics for, how much do you think that not having a USA versus Russia competition matters in terms of narratives? I mean, I'm, I'm so old that I remember like Placid in the U.S. and, and Soviet hockey uh, competition. Um, as you guys are sort of thinking about how to raise the sort of dramatic stakes for this, does not having a, a country to compete against matter? I mean – I think it's always nice to have that USA versus, you know, another country and really build up that that intense competition. But at the same time, there's still a rivalry. So these skaters um, have been competing, whether it's the Russians who have been competing against um, all these other countries, they've really been dominating in our sport, especially in the ladies' events. So when you go out and you have Yevgenia Medvedeva announced as, you know, an Olympic athlete for Russia, I think you're still going to get the same sense that there is – competition there and that there's a rivalry going on between Russia and, say, a U.S. skater. So it, it's a little bit more complex, but I, I don't think it will affect it that much. Yeah, figure skating is the the diamond of the tiara of the Winter Olympics, and it's always dramatic whether you have um, a U.S. skater versus, back in the old days, a Soviet skater. I mean, the U.S. is one of six countries that are really dominating the sport. It isn't just USA versus the world anymore. So um, it's going to be dramatic regardless. So, Johnny, you said you're the diamond in the tiara. You guys are announcing the diamond in, in the tiara. That makes you the, the biggest stars of, of the Olympics, I think, at least at least for the U.S. audience. I think they are much more likely to recognize and know you guys than any individual athlete, I think. Is that, is that, are you comfortable with that with that notion? We're very proud to bring figure skating to American living rooms, and we're very proud to educate people in a different way 
than maybe they have over the last many, many moons. And Tara and I do things uh, more conversationally. We're very direct with our audience. And I think that it's a, it's a huge honor for us to be carrying figure skating because it is such a big sport and such a big draw at the Olympic Games. And uh, we couldn't be happier about it. I can't say that we're the biggest stars of the Olympics. <laughs> I, I can say it, though, right? I mean, I, I mean, it's very it's very complimentary and very sweet of you. But uh, we definitely know who we are and we know um, how to entertain people. And, and what we do is is fun. But it's really all about the athletes and all about the skating that you'll see. And I think that's this. Johnny and I feel the same way about that as as much as we put on the show and we we have a lot of fun and we, we think about what we're doing for our craft. I think, you know, the underlying issue that we're always thinking about is how to bring the American public back into figure skating and make skating just as popular as it was in the 90s. Um, so it is about the skaters and it's about creating storylines and, and getting the audience to really invest in each skater and, and follow their journey and make it exciting. Why do you guys think figure skating has fallen off in popularity since the 90s? I mean, there's so many There are <laughs> so many variables. I mean, we, we each have somewhat differing opinions. I mean, I think that figure skating, uh, despite, you know, uh, an ice dancing couple winning the Olympics in Sochi for the United States or a man winning in Vancouver for the United States, I think that figure skating is very driven on uh, a strong and dominant female skater, and there hasn't been a strong dominant female skater from the United States in quite some time. In addition, I mean, things go in and out of fashion. Um, even, you know, traditional television is losing things to the internet. Mm -hmm. Things go in and out in waves, and, and it's um, usually young people that dictate it. So if young people aren't invested in a, in a skater, in a peer that they can relate to, then they are less likely to tune in for skating. Yeah, I think they're just sort of what Johnny just said. There, there really hasn't been a name that is in the media on a on a daily basis, and that's what skating in the '90s was. Everyone knew, um, you know, after the the Tanya Harding and and Nancy Kerrigan incident. Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan, Christy Yamaguchi, Michelle Kwan. Everyone knew these names. They were household names because they were winning. They were on TV. There was. You know, just a, the perception of skating, I think, was different. It was had a little more glitz and glamour, and it appealed to all ages. Whereas now, we really haven't had that star. And I think if we do, and that and that star sort of starts popping up in in pop culture moments, that would that would change the sport, in my opinion. And you never know when that can happen. You have someone like Nathan Chen in our men's event, who, um, you know, he he's a little different than than skaters we've seen. He's he's groundbreaking. He, he's a lot different. I mean, he's doing five and six quads and, and really upping the technical ante of the sport, which I think, you know, think about X Games and, and people love all these tricks. You wonder if possibly that would bring in some viewers to see this kid go out there and do these amazing jumps and do so many of them. And How much of it is about what happens sort of on the ice versus I think now especially with, with, with the personality and celebrity and profile you have off the ice? Johnny, I think you're probably the, the the last famous U.S. figure skater, right? And 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 a lot of that is about your persona. Um, do you think the the skaters are being sort of encouraged to sort of have a larger than life personality outside of the rink? I don't think so. I mean, I understood in the in the sort of twilight years of my my skating, I um, understood who I was and what I was going to be able to do at the Olympic Games and what I was capable of. So I thought, well, what other op options are there for me? Because 
you know, I am the first generation after that whole crew of, of 90s and early 2000s skaters that could really make a living off of figure skating and, and be successful off the ice. And, and there were less contracts, less tours, less money, that sort of stuff. So you're saying the market contracted when, when you were leaving the Olympics? Uh, when I was first able to go to the Olympics. So Right. So that, that market had shrunk down for you? The, the market had shrunk down. Plus, I, I'm a male skater. Plus, I was, I'm gay. And, you know, things are, are different uh, in, in a marketing sense than, you know, getting a, a pretty girl in a pretty dress on the cover of something. I had to do things differently. And it, I understood what the fashion was. So when I was going to my second Olympic Games, it was it was Gaga and it was Kardashians. It wasn't as wholesome as maybe the 90s would have been. So you have to be, in some ways, competitive in an entertainment format um, with the, that sort of person. So you were very conscious of that. You're saying, I am, I'm both competing in the Olympics and I'm also building a career and I need to be thoughtful about the way that I'm going to be thought of outside of the Olympics, outside of the, the couple hours that I'm going to be on national TV. Exactly. And I think that that is something that um, there's a bit of a disconnect in the skating world between the people that sort of run, rule the roost to the people that are in charge of the skaters, because the, many skaters still have uh, awesome personalities. They're, they're cool. They're interesting people. But the people that are in charge of judging them and, and sort of pushing their career forward and giving them opportunities to compete in Olympics or World Championships are much older. And they're still thinking about the heydays of the wholesome 90s when obviously the Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding um, incident was huge news. It was, it was scary. It was wild. It was these uh, women in, in beautiful dresses and competing for Olympic gold and blades and ice. And um, the 90s were a lot more wholesome than, than now. And I think... Um, if you're too much of a purist and you hold on to what was, you'll never actually get what is. Is there some of that same tension between sort of how you guys view uh, view the sport versus maybe how NBC would want to present it? Do you guys have that discussion where NBC says, well, let's focus on this kind of storyline or this kind of personality? And you guys are saying, no, no, this is much more interesting. I, I feel like Johnny and I have been really lucky from the very start with NBC. I mean, taking us back four years when we, you know, I was working with NBC before that. But when Johnny and I, you know, started as a team and it was, you know, Terry Gannon, Johnny and I in Sochi, we were the B team. And, um, you know, NBC was involved, but I, they had, a, you know, they had a primetime show to put on. So we really were qu kind of left to to ourselves and to, to figure out who we were. And I think that's that, always a great opportunity, right? When it really you, when was. Aren't focusing on you. It was because everything from that point on was just natural and, and organic. And I think that's why it still continues to flow so well for, for us as a team. You know, we got on the air and we were newbies and we kind of figured out our personalities on air and what worked and how, what the dynamic was going to be and the banter. And, and like Johnny says, we, we sort of fell into this very conversational direct, you know, almost sitting on the couch with, you know, the viewers at home and, and having, uh, we, we just kind of put on a different show and, you know, there was never a moment that NBC said, oh, well, what happens if you sort of, you know, directed the show this way or, or went down a different path. And even as we've moved up and now are in the primetime position, they, they really don't involve themselves in that way. You know, we have great. So even though the stakes are raised, they're not tightening right. up. I think they want us to really be ourselves because it does work. And, and hopefully they, they trust in our knowledge of the sport and we've grown up in it and, and we want the best for the sport and for, for a good television show. But um, I, I feel like they've really, 
I mean, obviously, like I was going to say, that directors and producers and, and, and all the execs have always helped us and, and guided us and given us great advice. But when we, you know, sit, on, sit in our booth and, and we're on air, it's just us. What percent of the audience do you think has has any kind of real knowledge about how figure skating works, who the skaters are, what they're actually doing on air? Well, the Internet has completely changed even how we do our jobs as broadcasters. The Internet makes it possible for wildly interested skating fans to see the events live as they happen. There are YouTube streams. There's stuff all over. So the skater, the skating fans who are purists and they're... Um, so into skating and they've got a favorite skater and they follow them all over the world. And, you know, Tara and I were lucky enough in our skating careers to have fans like that that would wake up at three in the morning to watch you live on the Internet. Um, They're still there and they'll intake skating that way, the way they want to. And oftentimes those feeds have no commentary. So these these sort of um, behind the computer, behind the TV screen fans that maybe have never skated before but are you know, really into skating, um, they can they can intake skating the way that they want to. They can just inhale it. They can get it right to the main line. And, and do you, so do you think they, that peels off, they peel off from your audience so your audience is even broadly sort of, I guess, in, has even, so, so the, if you're a hardcore fan, you're probably not, you're less likely to watch you guys? No, I would, I would say it's almost opposite in my opinion because I feel like the hardcore fans, like Johnny said, there's, there's so much information out there and, and you're getting you know, these live feeds of these competitions right away where they can watch them. Right. And I think they are, if they are these, you know, hardcore skating fans, they probably will watch that and then watch our broadcast. They'll double down. Of our our broadcast as well. But I think our main audience really isn't that. And I think we established that in, in Sochi. I think we brought in a lot of people that never probably watched figure skating at all. And they probably, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, we, re- we really don't know. We just sort of go off of our Instagram, our Instagram <laughs> and, our, and our, our Twitter and sort of the feedback we got from Sochi. But I think it was sort of the show that Johnny and I put on and maybe opening the eyes of people that don't know anything about skating, about what our sport is really like. I mean, our sport is, we love our sport and we're so passionate about it and we, we respect it so much. But at the same time, I think we're lighthearted and we can sort of laugh at the moments that need to be laughed at and then also be very truthful when we need to be, especially in a, in a sport that's very subjective and political. Seems like there's a particular challenge to explaining um, your sport, also gymnastics, something where there isn't a finish line or someone scored a goal and there's something sort of binary. Right, where there's judging involved, where you've got to explain um, something technical to an audience, or try to explain why that jump is is going to be rated slightly less than the other jump. Um, it seems like a real challenge for for what you guys do, and, and on top of that, to be entertaining and charismatic and draw on a big audience, it seems like a real juggling act. We have a hard job, <laughs> but we love it, and I think that um, the fact that figure skating is judged and is subjective. I think that really makes the conversation a lot more interesting because it's not like my dad watching, uh, you know, the Steelers play the Patriots and there were uh, there were touchdowns and you can debate why that touchdown was better than another one, but essentially still seven points. Whatever. It's essentially there. There's a winner and a loser, and you can see the guy run into the the end zone. Um, but figure skating, there are so many nuances. There are so many little things to debate. It makes the conversation very broad and very open. While it might sound really compartmentalized and that Tara and I, we can break it down in a way that everyone can understand it, but 
you can look at a single element or a single moment in a program choreographically and decide why that's better, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, the, the cream will rise to the top. And Tara and Mai's job is to take the viewer from the start to the finish of the program and explain why certain elements are harder than others, to give our opinions on the artistry. But really, it's great as an audience member to sit at home and fight for why you thought this person should have won over that person and to start a debate in the family. It's it's fun to watch figure skating. I agree with that. I mean, I think it's definitely difficult, though. I think Johnny and I even have conversations after we watch an event, and we have to sit there, and we grew up in the sport, so we sort of know the ways of, of the judging system and, and how things are sort of judged and, and, and how skaters sometimes have to pay their dues in this sport. But, you know, it is difficult, I think, for the for the non-skating fan sitting at home watching a skater that maybe fell, you know, four times beat the skater that seemingly skated clean. And um, you have to sort of succinctly <laughs> explain what just happened. Um, and in a way when we really don't know, you know, because it is subjective. We, we can kind of guess why the judge or the judging panel did that. But at the same time, it's, it is so nuanced. The, 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 time, the time gap between uh, uh, South Korea and the U.S. is, what, nine hours this time around? This time around, it's always the same time around. I think it's What's the, twelve. I'm not quite sure. Twelve. So, so every year, every Olympics, there's this consistent narrative where a certain number of people complain about uh, tape delayed sports, and and uh, the opening ceremonies are on tape delayed. This is live. This isn't. Um, but for you guys, there's there's never any debate. You are almost always packaging sort of uh, the the evening's competition into a package that's going to be shown on tape delay, right? We are going to be live from South Korea. So it, the skaters are competing earlier in the day in South Korea, and the East Coast of the United States is getting the coverage live. So it will go live. Okay. So I'm, I'm even less informed. And um, what's been so- great is Johnny and I, that's how we started in, in Sochi because we weren't doing the primetime coverage. We just did all the live skating. We covered from warm-up one to the last skater who most likely would win the Olympic gold medal. So Tara and I really thrive in that live world, and we're excited about it. We love the challenge of do it now or do it never. (laughs) Right, and also I think for the audience, it's time. I mean, in in 2017, the way that you can just, you know, get information at the tip of your fingertips in a moment and everything is so live, I I do think that it's finally time that the Olympic Games are at that moment. That's great, Um, because maybe that takes that boring narrative. I I was really sick of that argument, because the NBC guys would always say, look, we're going to package this stuff. It's how the majority of the country wants to watch it. Hardcore people can watch it when they want to, but we're going to deliver a a package of primetime sports. But this this will work out very nicely for you guys. Yeah, I mean, Um, look at at what America takes in. I mean, Kardashians and reality television, and there's nothing more real than the Olympics, so you have to see it live. It's the Kardashians on ice. Um, speaking of Kardashians, you guys have mentioned this a bit. How has social media changed your sport specifically? It seems like it's almost designed for social media in a lot of ways. It really is. I mean, I think back to my time, though, when I was was skating. Obviously, I was 15, and there was no such thing as Instagram. Um, so social media wasn't, you know, even a component of of my career. And nowadays, I think that it can only be helpful that these athletes can sort of engage with fans and become visible on a different platform. But I don't know if it really um, 
has changed anything for the actual sport. For Johnny and I, it's been, it was a huge blessing in Sochi because when we were there, again, we were just flying under the radar and hoping we weren't going to get fired and that we just figured out how to do our first Olympic Games. And, you know, we had a lot of, there was a lot of uh, events to do and, and, and time that we were on air and we had, you know, essentially just started as a team. Um, but one day we went back and we made a joint Instagram account just because we thought it would be fun. We had adjoining rooms and we had some downtime and we um, we had a lot of fun with that. And I remember one morning sort of knocking on, on Johnny's door and saying, you know, I know we had 11 followers last night when we when we did this. But, Johnny, we have like 20,000 more followers. And it sort of grew from there. And, and was there was there a single post that kicked it up? Do you remember? They were all genius. To be <laughs> they were all genius. But I think um, social media, like it helps a lot of people um, have a perspective on the world and stuff. I would have loved in my career to be able to look at Instagram and watch a video of my biggest rival and seeing what music they chose, what jumps they were doing on practice. I think that's been an advantage in some ways to the skaters, just that they have that insight to their main competitors. Oh, I never thought about it for an actual sort of competitive analysis. I thought this was purely sort of uh, uh, for You were for giving emotional. us a fluffy question? <laughs> no, well, yes, that's that's the whole point of the interview. But but uh, no, I, I, I figured this was about building your, your profile, meet your career after the Olympics or in between Olympics. I never thought of it as something you an athlete would actually use sort of competitively. Oh, yeah, but I mean, the world is all on social media now. And, and especially in a, in a time when there is there are very few opportunities for figure skaters afterward. You've got to make yourself known and visible to the public, especially during the Olympics, because that's your biggest time to shine. And you've got to be special. It isn't, it isn't just about winning a skating event anymore. You have to be so much more to be competitive in the entertainment industry anymore. Who, um, give us a quick preview of the games. Um, who are you most excited to see skate and why? I'm excited for the ladies event. I mean, all uh, across all four disciplines, Johnny and I have been saying this, I, I think the level of skating that we will see at these games will be the best that we've ever seen. It's just over the last few years, especially in the men's event, the, the technical aspect of uh, that field has advanced so dramatically. Um, but, but going back to the ladies, you know, the Russians are, are really dominating. Um, we have a two-time world champ, uh, Yevgenia Medvedeva from Russia, who is is almost always flawless. She has an injury right now, so she's actually out of the event we're commentating this weekend. But she's the clear favorite going into the games. And what's really interesting is her training mate, who trains under her the, the same coach, Alina Zagitova, who was a junior last year and is, is, is a rookie and a newbie and just sort of came onto the senior team this year, is is one of her biggest competitors. Um, so that little rivalry within itself is is very exciting. And then you have um, the uh, many Japanese ladies, although we only get uh, only two Japanese ladies will be at the Olympics this year, um, but they've been very strong. And then you have Ashley Wagner from the United States. Um, we still, uh, you know, as, as, as we're watching, we really don't know what's going to happen exactly just because um, the Olympic trials or these – these skaters go to their nationals where they're selected to get on the team. All of those events haven't happened yet. Right. So the, the Olympic teams aren't set for any country and there are no official entries into, into the Olympics yet. But, but you uh, can guess. You can, you, can, <laughs> you can kind of guess, as you know, professionals would. And Tara and I, I think we can call mm -hmm. professionals at this point. Um, looking at the U.S.'s chances, I think um, a year ago, I, I mention it all the time, but a year ago I never would have thought that the United States would be in the position that it is to 
possibly win as many medals as they are. In the men's event, you have Nathan Chen, who is the likely favorite um, for the U.S. men, and mo- more than likely, barring disaster, will be on the Olympic team. Um, he's doing things that are so outrageous. It's very X Games, the the sort of jumps that he's doing. These are bigger, broader, more athletic. Is there is there something that, that uh, is uh, associated only with him? Uh, he's doing five or six quadruple jumps in a long program, which he w- really revolutionized men's skating last year, doing many, many quads in a free program. And he's continued that, and everybody's trying to catch up in that way. Um, so the men, there's uh, Nathan Chen as a possibility to make the podium at the Olympic Games. In ice dancing, there are skaters Maya and Alex Shibutani, um, possibly getting on that podium. There's a very strong team from France and a very strong team from Canada that they'd have to overtake, but they're looking very strong as possible bronze medal favorites. Then the team event for the United States could be very important where they could actually win the gold medal as a team. Um, And then uh, you have skaters Ashley Wagner that could possibly make the ladies team for the U.S. and uh, maybe sneak in for a bronze. But the ladies ladies in pairs are where the U.S. is, is weak at the moment. But looking at men, ice dancing, and team is where the U.S. is strongest. And is there an Olympic sport you guys want to see that's not skating that you might sneak out to see when you're not when you're not in the booth? Johnny. Uh, well, I mean, I am curling. A, I'm you're a curling guy. <laughs> I I'm not the biggest fan of curling. Um, I feel like <laughs> I would love to see skeleton happen. You know, the face first luge. I just want to see what wish. those people look like in real life. Uh huh. I mean, I love hockey. I, I love going to Johnny and I really didn't get the chance in Sochi. They <laughs> we're antisocial. <laughs> we we were we were in the booth literally from start to finish. Um, but maybe we'll have a few days here and we we will go see an event. It, it, to be at an Olympic Games, there's just something so exciting and and invigorating about stepping into to an Olympic arena that you know we have to go see some whatever it is, whether it's curling or skeleton or. Or hockey. I mean, Tara and I, I'm excited. I've been to South Korea many times. I'm excited to show Tara Seoul and take her shopping. I mean, the way we shop is definitely Olympic sports. So. <laughs> that's that's going to be an Instagram feed. Have you guys seen the, the Tanya Harding movie? There's a lot of buzz about that. No. No? Are we, are we going to discuss the Tanya Harding movie when, in February, or are we going to pretend it didn't happen? I mean, I've heard that Allison Janney is, is most likely, like, has done an incredible job with her role as Tanya's mother, and I think that's awesome. I love Sebastian Stan and Margot Robbie, who are both in the film. Um, we've seen the previews, but, I mean, honestly, we don't have a lot of time to see movies, first of all. Second of all, um, you know, it's, it's a weird thing in our world, that whole... That whole situation. I mean, Nancy Kerrigan's a friend of mine, and um, I've never met Tanya Harding. It's fascinating that there's some a skater from our world that uh, I haven't met. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's like even when I saw Black Swan, I, mm-hmm. I I was like, and what? Because it was so so much less than what it actually that life is all, all about. I kind of didn't laugh, but they marketed it as a thriller. And I, th- I thought, you know what? I've done a whole lot worse than anybody <laughs> in that whole Black Swan movie. So, you know, it'll be an, a, a fluffy, over-dramatized version of, of what... But there's a decent chance that for a lot of people... Um, first of all, there's a whole generation that doesn't even know that story anymore, right? Or a couple generations. And that may be the thing that's in people's minds when they start watching you guys in February. This They may have heard of this movie or this story may have been kicked up again. Um, and they may they may be thinking about it, whether or not you guys want to talk about it. Well, Tanya and Nancy are definitely how me, a small kid in rural Pennsylvania, really figure skating got on my radar. I didn't start skating until I was 12, and I can say that the first real 
exposure I had to the skating world was through Tanya and Nancy. And skating boomed, and it was possible for um, skaters to sell out buildings in hundreds of cities around the country. And um, skating definitely benefited a lot off of that tragic moment for Nancy Kerrigan. Um, and it was it was so dramatic and and so soap opera, and it was it was wild and definitely. Um, skating owes a big debt to Nancy Kerrigan for the late 90s, early 2000s, but I want people, um, especially that listen to Tara in my commentary, to understand, believe in the current skaters and, and to love and follow what's going on now um, because it is very exciting and we don't always have to be nostalgic to get a rise out of things. Onward. All right, let's look forward to February then. Johnny, Tara, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks again to Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir for coming in on the podcast, and thanks to you guys for listening. If you want to give me a present for the holidays, I have a good idea for you. You can tell someone about the show. You can post about it on Facebook. You can email it to your friends. You can use Twitter. Again, if you're my mom, you can tell me you like the show, but that is the least effective way to distribute information about the show. But thanks, Mom. If you're feeling really generous this holiday season, you should come visit us in person. At the Code Media Conference, you can get a ticket for our event February 12th and 13th in Southern California. I'll be there with Kara Swisher and a host of media and tech luminaries. You can find out more at recode.net. To subscribe to the official NBC and Vox Media podcast from the Winter Olympics, just search The Podium. That's The Podium, wherever you listen to Recode Media. And if you're listening to Recode Media on Apple Podcasts, you should leave us a rating and a review there. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Cadence 13 and Vox Media, who bring those sponsors to you so you can listen to Recode Media for free. Thanks to Joel Robbie, who edits this show, and thanks to my producers, Eric Johnson and Golda Arthur. This is Recode Media. I am back next Thursday. See you then, and happy holidays. <laughs>